we're going to look uh, we're going to look at two verses from the book of Philippians today. Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. But before we get there, there is a story back in the Old Testament that helps me to better understand what God's actually teaching in these two verses. So consider this story first. This story is found in the book of Second Samuel. Philistines are attacking the Israelites. Nothing new about that. They've been doing this for a long time. But on this particular occasion, the Philistines are trying to steal a farm. They're trying to take over a field of beans so they can sell a crop and make money from it. And there is this man, an Israelite by the name of Shamu, who says, no, I am not going to let you do this. And when he first takes a stand, Shamu has the entire army of Israel standing there with him. Well, hey, it's easy to be courageous when you're standing in a crowd and you know you've got a lot of people to back you up. But when all the Israelites see the Philistine army coming their way and they realize how big that army is, they get scared and they run. And all of a sudden, here's Shamu uh, just standing there all alone. I mean, the odds have changed now. It's one man against an entire army. So suddenly we've got a very stressful situation, something that would make anybody feel very, very anxious. And I'm sure as Shamu is standing there that day in the middle of that bean field, his heart is just pounding inside his chest. But the Bible says he stays there and he fights because he refuses to let the Philistines steal this field of beans. And the Bible says as he stands there in the middle of that field, it says, and Shamu struck down the Philistines because, because the Lord brought a great victory. Now you think about this. Where did God bring this victory? In the temple? In the holy city of Jerusalem? No, God did something great and mighty in a bean field. And why? Because what happens in that field of beans is important to him. God did not want the Philistines stealing this farm. God wanted one of his own people managing this piece of land. Somebody who knew and understood how to grow a crop of beans and then know what to do with that product, product once you've harvested the beans. How you can use this crop to help so many other people. God brought about a great victory in a bean field because what happens in that field of beans is important to him. So when I read that in the Old Testament and I now come over to the New Testament and I hear God saying in the book of Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything present your request to God, then I know that God really means everything. Anything that upsets you, anything that frightens you, anything that annoys you and keeps you from sleeping, anything that makes you feel worried or anxious, even if it appears to be something little and trivial in the eyes of other people. But know this, if it's a big deal to you, it's going to be a big deal to God too. So don't just sit there and let this thing bug you. No, do something about it. Bring that worry to the Lord and pray. And know that the God who was willing to fight for Shamu there in that field of beans, he's going to be willing to fight for you no matter what kind of circumstances you find yourself in. You know, you're all stressed out because you're about to have dinner with your in-laws. Or you're in a state of panic because you lost your keys and you should have been at work 15 minutes ago. Or you walk out to the mailbox and you discover this unexpected bill and yet this very next weekend, you're supposed to be hosting this big birthday party for your son and all his friends. And now you're worried, how am I ever going to pull this off? Well, no, that the God that was willing to stand with Shamu there in that field of beans, he's going to be willing to stand with you. But God cannot help you with that stress if you just simply sit there and worry. No, you got to do something about that worry. you got to pray. A mother had invited a bunch of people over to her house for dinner and when the meal was ready and everybody had taken a seat at the table, she turned over to her six-year-old daughter and said, and she asked, honey, would you say the prayer for us? And of course, the little girl's kind of overwhelmed by the situation, all these adults sitting around the table, and she's the only child. This is kind of intimidating. 
So she whispered to her mom and said, I, I don't know what to say. The mother patted her on the back and said, oh, honey, it's, it's simple. You just bow your head, you close your eyes, and then just say what you hear your mommy say. So the little girl says, okay. So she folds her hands and she closes her eyes and she prays, oh Lord, what on earth was I thinking when I invited all these people over for dinner? <laughs> I love that. I love that prayer. How many times have we found ourselves wondering, what was I thinking? Why did I say yes to that? Why did I sign up for this? Why, why did I volunteer for this? Now I'm in the middle of something that's way too big for me. But that's exactly what the scripture's talking about. Anything. Anything that causes you to be anxious, you should pray about it. And when you pray, pray like that little girl. Just tell God how you're feeling. I mean, just lay it out in detail. Here's what's troubling me. And know this, that when you open the door to your anxiety and you actually share that anxiety with him, know this, God will respond. And he will open the door to his peace, that peace that passes all understanding. And he will share that peace with you. Notice what it says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, I want us to be clear. I want, I, I want to make sure we don't misunderstand what God's saying. It is impossible not to feel anxious from time to time. And God knows that. I mean, it was God who gave us our emotions. And one of those emotions is this alarm clock that he put inside your heart and mine. An alarm clock that is designed to wake us up and make us alert anytime we encounter something that should concern us. You know, you're standing here thinking about this conversation you had with your friend yesterday. And all of a sudden, there's this uneasy feeling in your stomach. You know, they might have misunderstood that comment I made. And all of a sudden, because of that concern, that alarm, you pick up your phone and say, I've got to talk to him right now. I mean, I, I got to clear the air. I, I got to make sure there's nothing between the two of us. This friendship is so precious to me. I want to make sure there's no misunderstanding. See, it's that feeling of concern, that feeling of alarm that moves you to want to fix the problem. Or a mother can sense one day that something's bugging her child. He's just not himself today. There, there's something wrong with my little boy. And so it's that feeling of concern that prompts her to begin to ask a series of questions. And finally, after probing for a while, the truth comes out. Yeah, the little boy is wrestling with a fear, a fear that makes him dread going to school every day. And so now that the fear has been brought to light, now the mom can know how to help. Now she can help that boy deal with that fear. Or have you ever been at work and you're listening to a proposal and yet you're really feeling apprehensive about it? Boy, this deal just sounds too good to be true. And sure enough, six months later, it was too good to be true. And you're thinking to yourself, man, am I glad that I never signed the dotted line? Because if I'd signed the contract that day, it would have been a huge mistake. Now, all those feelings, those feelings of concern, that feeling of apprehension, those feelings are a gift from God. See, the word that the Bible uses here, when it says, do not be anxious, this word for anxiety is the same exact word the Apostle Paul used back in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 20. When he talked about Timothy and the concern that he had for all the Philippians. And yet there Paul commends Timothy for having that concern. He's right to care about you. Listen, we are made in the image of God, which means we are made to see things as he sees things. So if something's not right, if something's wrong, there should be this negative, unpleasant feeling in the pit of our stomach. To not feel a sense of grief when somebody you love dies. To not feel discouraged when you find yourself falling again and again into the very same sin. To not be upset when you hear children tell a lie or you watch your children hurt each other. To not be upset about that, that means there's something wrong with us. 
Do you remember what the Bible said about Job? On that day when he lost everything, how did he respond? The Bible says he ripped his clothes, he fell to the ground, and he cried out with loud cries. And yet the Bible says, in all this, Job did not sin. He was right to respond this way. He was right to express those painful feelings. So when the Bible says here, do not be anxious, it's not saying, hey, once you get to this point in your Christian life where you really trust God, hey, the tension, the anxiety disappears, it'll never come back. No, no, no. You will get anxious from time to time. But when the anxiety comes, don't just sit there and worry. Do something about it. Bring the worry to God. Pray. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, when that worry pops up, here's your respond by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present that worry. Present. Bring that anxiety to God. How? Well, I want you to consider the example of Jesus. On the night before the cross, as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, consider how what he's doing there models what we're reading about here. You know, many other times when the disciples would watch Jesus pray, it seemed like he was praying in a time of quiet and calm. But here on the night before the cross, here's Jesus praying in the midst of a crisis. You remember Matthew chapter 26, as he steps into the garden that night, he says, my soul is very sorrowful. That word sorrowful means I feel a dread, an ache in my heart that is worse than anything I've ever felt before. I am deeply troubled. And as Jesus is saying this, he's not just thinking out loud. He's not just talking to himself. He's talking to Peter, James, and John. He's sharing his feelings with his friends. And he asks his friend to pray. And once he sets up a place for them to pray, then the Bible tells us Jesus moves off a little bit further to find a spot just for himself. And he prays that night. And three things to notice about his prayer that night. Keep it simple. Keep it real. And keep it up. Think about this. Keep it simple. According to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there were only 23. I mean, he prays three different times, at least an hour each time. And yet, according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there were only 23 words in that prayer. Nothing fancy. Nothing complicated. And every time he starts off the prayer, he always starts it off the same way. Abba. Abba. Father. See, Jesus takes a moment just to think about who he's talking to. I'm talking to the one who's committed to me. I'm talking to the one who really listens. And he really listens because he really cares. He's not talking to the big bad boss who's only concerned about the bottom line. Boy, you better come through. And if you don't produce a prophet, you're going to get fired. No, he's talking to his father, the one who loves him more than anybody else. It's exactly what Paul's talking about here when he says in every situation by prayer and petition. That word prayer literally means to pray towards. Pause for a moment and just Think about who you're talking to. You know, the Bible says back in the book of Psalms, it says about God, it says, and he remembers, he remembers that we are dust. He knows how fragile we are, how sometimes it's not easy to pray, trying to find the right words, trying to put those words together in the right way, especially when the brain's just running wild with anxiety. Man, is that a struggle? He knows that. So relax. Please know, when you're talking to God, he's not frowning. He, not acting bored. No, he is thrilled. He is thrilled that you're taking this time to talk to him, and he is eager to help. So just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, don't worry about finding the right words to impress God. No, just, just talk. Just talk to him. Keep it simple. Number two, keep it real. On that night as Jesus steps in the Garden of Gethsemane, much like Job, he just collapses. I mean, he literally falls apart. He just falls to the ground and sweats drops of blood. He's not pretending that everything is fine because it's not. 
On this night, Jesus is facing the most awful ordeal of his entire existence. And so both physically and emotionally, he pours out the pain to the Father. Just like the little girl praying, what was I thinking when I asked all these people over for dinner? Just be honest. Let God see the mess you're in and talk to him about it. Keep it simple, keep it real, and number three, just keep it up. Three different times he prays that night, and both Matthew and Mark said every time he prayed, he kept saying the same words. Same 23 words over and over again. Why? Because those feelings of anxiety didn't disappear all at once. I mean, the anxiety that Jesus is feeling this night, it is immense. And the emotions didn't just change after he prayed the first time. Not that he prayed poorly. He prayed really well. But on this night, he's facing something big, really big. And he has to fight those feelings all night long. So all night long, Jesus prayed again and again and again. Somebody said praying is like throwing rocks in a pond. And you throw, each time you throw that rock in the pond, man, it just disappears. And you're thinking to yourself, hey, this idea of trying to build something solid out there in the water, I think it's kind of pointless. This isn't getting me anywhere because every time I throw another stone, it disappears without a trace. But if you were to keep it up, I mean, you just keep doing it. You just keep throwing rocks in that pond. Eventually, the pond is going to be filled with so many stones, there's going to come a point in time when you throw a rock and it doesn't sink because the solid ground begins to appear. So it is with prayer. Don't give up. Yeah, life's tough and the battle's fierce. And it may be a while before you see that breakthrough. But know this, the breakthrough will come if you keep it up. Now, what kind of breakthrough are we talking about? Well, let's look at verse 7. Sometimes we need to understand, yeah, sometimes God will just solve the problem. But sometimes rather than solving the problem, God chooses in his wisdom. Sometimes God just chooses to walk with us through the problem. But he promises this, that as we walk through the problem, he will give us this amazing sense of peace. Notice, and the peace of God, in other words, the peace that God himself has. That's the peace we can have because God himself is with us. So this peace of God that just transcends all understanding. Words, when you experience something like this, words cannot describe how amazing, I mean, how amazing it is. That's the kind of peace that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You think of Daniel when he was thrown in the lion's den. And why was he thrown in the lion's den? Because he wouldn't stop praying. <laughs> and yet, here's the irony. On the, night, on the night when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, the king who put him there, the king who threw him in the lion's den, he can't sleep. And why? Because he's got nobody to talk to. He's not praying. So all night long, here's the king of Persia. He's pacing back and forth, just sick with worry. And yet, all night long, here's Daniel sitting in that lion's den, surrounded by these wild beasts. And yet he is sitting there in perfect peace. And why? Because he does have somebody to talk to. Somebody who can shut the mouths of the lions. Terry Elwig tells about this uh, church in the state of New York. This was many years ago, back in the 1960s. And they wanted to do something special for one of their missionary families. A family they supported over there in Africa. They wanted to send them some Christmas presents. So they worked on this for months. Because they wanted to be careful to select the right kind of gifts that would actually match the needs of that family. I mean, if they bought clothing, they wanted to make sure they bought the right sizes for both the parents and the children. If they bought any toys, they wanted to make sure they bought the kind of toys that were uh, appropriate to the ages of the children. So they worked on this for a month. And finally, when all the gifts had been turned in, a couple ladies in the congregation volunteered to come down to the church building one night and wrap the gifts, individually wrap each gift, put a card on it. So this particular gift is meant for this specific member of the family. And then they would carefully 
place all those gifts in this giant barrel and then put it on a ship and send it across the ocean. Well, that night as they're wrapping up the gifts, a lady comes flying in the building, another member of the church. She's got this very expensive coat, brand new. Says, my husband doesn't like it. It's not his style. So I thought, hey, maybe the missionaries can use it. Drops it on the table, turns around and runs out. And all the ladies that night are just offended. How thoughtless. Because, I mean, they open up the coat and look at the size. It's not going to fit dad, not going to fit mom. It's not going to fit anybody in that family. How thoughtless to drop off a gift that nobody can use. So they just tossed the coat aside. After they carefully wrapped all the gifts and carefully placed them in that barrel, there was still some space at the top, and the ladies were worried about the presents kind of jostling around. They thought, we need some packing material. And somebody said, well, how about that coat? <laughs> so they get this really expensive coat, wad it up, shove it inside, seal the barrel, ship it over. Several months after Christmas, the church gets a thank you letter from the missionaries. Hey, thank you for all the gifts. And in the letter, they said, and we especially want to thank you for the miracle gift. And everybody in the church is thinking, miracle gift? What are they talking about? So in the letter, they began to explain it. On the very night, when that barrel finally arrived at the home of the missionaries, there was a really bad storm there in Africa. And a man came knocking on the door, destitute, dressed in rags. He needed some shelter. And the missionary said, sure, come on in. Gave the man some food to eat. They had him sit next to the fireplace to keep him warm. And then the mom and dad and the missionary family are thinking, you know what, we just got that barrel today, and the kids can hardly sit still. They know what's inside that barrel, the Christmas presents, and they're ready to see what it is. And we know there's nothing inside that barrel for our friend over here, but hey, we've already given some food to eat. We got them there by the fireplace to keep them warm. And once the storm passes, we'll wrap a blank around him, give him whatever else he needs. We'll take care of him. So I, I think it's okay. Let's just go ahead and open up the barrel. They open up the barrel, and right at the top, there's that watered up coat, that really expensive coat, all watered up, and they pull it out. And then they notice that everything else in the barrel, carefully wrapped with a card on it, specifying it's for this particular member of the family. But no wrapping on the coat, no card on the coat, so dad and mom open up the coat and it doesn't fit him, doesn't fit her, and then they think, what about our friend? How about the stranger over there? Let's have him try it on. And sure enough, it was a perfect fit, and this was the perfect night to wear something like that. See, everybody back in the States thought this was just a foolish gift, but the foolish gift turned out to be a miracle of grace. And why? Because long before that storm ever occurred in Africa, and long before that man ever came knocking on the door, God could already see in advance who was going to be in that house that night. And he knew what each person in that house would need, and so he provided for them. Now that's what gives me hope. Listen to me. When my heart is just eaten up with worry, I don't know about you, but when my heart is just eaten up with anxiety, I find it hard to pray. I can't think, I can't focus. I mean, just trying to put two words together is a real struggle for me. And in those moments when I try to pray, my prayers seem so inept, so inadequate. They just seem foolish. Well, as I look back over my life, I've discovered sometimes it's those foolish prayers, not the pretty prayers that I can pray when I have time to think about it and I can carefully craft the words. And I think those prayers are important too. I'm not minimizing that. But many times I look back over my life and it's those foolish prayers when all I could say was, God, help me. It was those foolish prayers that turned out to have the most amazing results. And why is that? It's got nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with the one I'm talking to, the one the Bible says, and he knows what you need even before you ask. So when you get worried, don't just sit there and worry. Do something about that worry. Bring the worry to the Lord. And know that when you open the door to your anxiety and you actually share that anxiety with Him, know this, God will respond. He will open the door to His peace, to His perfect peace, and He will share that peace.
Let's pray.